Mac Power Users, Episode 230, The Power of PDFs. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. And we, you know, this, I think, show has been on our outline since the very beginning of Mac Power Users. And yes, it's, it has. <laughs> it's just got pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed aside. But we are ready to do it because we've got a little help from our pal, Ernie the Attorney, is here. Hey, Ernie. Hey, Katie. How are you doing? Hey. Welcome. Good to see y'all. Welcome. Uh, well, thank you for having me. This is, I'm, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we are. We're so glad to have you. You know, Ernie. One of the things that you know, obviously, we, okay, we we got a full disclaimer here. We got three attorneys on the podcast, but do do not do not press stop. With this is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is this is not going to dive into an attorney show. This is this is not a show only for lawyers. Um, but you know, Ernie, I know. You have you have talked a lot about the importance of, of PDFs, particularly for lawyers. So, but a lot of the stuff that you talk about uh, is is of use to really anybody, especially people in the business environment. And what we want to stress with people in this episode is that PDFs are really powerful tools that are more than just for opening and viewing documents. You can do a lot of stuff with PDFs, and that's what we hope to impart to people today. I mean, whether you're a student or you're in business or anything, if you deal with documents on computers, you can get better at this stuff. And, and Ernie is like one of the premier guys, in addition to being just like one of the nicest people on the planet. You know, Ernie, oh, thank you. Ernie, I, I have so much fun every time I'm with Ernie. He's the living embodiment of Narlins to me. <laughs> well, I try. I try. You know, I'm here. I've, I've put a flag in the ground and I'm going to defend this territory. I I really feel like that, you know, if the wires had got crossed a little differently and I would have been born in New Orleans, I would have fit right in. That would have been a good town for me. Oh, yeah. Well, when you finally come visit, you'll you'll you probably won't leave. Yeah, I, I may not. <laughs> honestly, maybe, you know, going down to the jazz quarter and I just may say heck with it. I'm not going back there. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, the, the invitation is open yeah. uh, to you and Katie and your listeners. Anytime you want to come to New Orleans, I will be happy to show you around. All right. So we'll send them all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. You, have to, you might have to add on a little bit, but it's okay. not a it's not a problem. I know yeah. how to handle the situation. But <laughs> but, you know, th this thing with PDFs. Well, actually, just give a little background on Ernie in addition. So Ernie was a big firm lawyer. Then he was a solo lawyer. And now he's a guy who talks a lot about technology and he's kind of a, you know, he's, he's kind of a geek like us and he's really made kind of his bones talking a lot about paperless and PDF stuff and you've done it nationally. Yep. Well, you know, with you, we've both spoken at the American Bar Association tech show in Chicago and talked to other groups of lawyers and non-lawyers about the benefits of being paperless and using technology efficiently. I think that, one of the big mistakes people make about PDF is they say, okay, you know, someone tells them, all right, you want to save your documents as PDFs. And they say, oh, great. Okay. So now I know how to save them. And they stop there. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing about PDFs to me is it's, um, it's basically digital paper. So, you know, as we move f further and further into the information age and we're managing our information more in digital form, which is basically what's happening, then there's still a need to see the information that used to be displayed in some kind of paper format 
in a format on our computers or our tablets that looks like the paper that existed before we scanned it or did whatever we did to it. So that's the first thing that PDFs do. And then there are other things that we that they do that we'll talk about. But I mean, it's basically the idea that um, you know you don't have to schlep papers around. You don't have to stuff them into a FedEx box to um, pay exorbitant fees for overnight delivery. You can deliver all of this information with a PDF as an attachment to an email, and it's fast, it's free or cheap, and it's easy. And everybody knows how to use PDFs. I mean, they certainly know how to open them, right? So. We're living in a, in a golden era for PDFs, I would say. Hey, let's talk about the era just a little bit, because it wasn't a given that PDFs were going to become the digital equivalent of documents. When people started thinking about digitizing documents, I mean, that, that all happened within really the last 20 years or so. Right. I would say even more recent than that. But yeah, cer- certainly within the last 20 and probably even within the last 10 or 15 I mean, it, it occurred to me, the first time I realized that you could scan something was when I watched Tron. You know, as a kid, they scanned a guy and they put him in a computer, right? I don't think he was a PDF, though. A whole but, guy, yeah. Yeah, oh. but I mean, but just the whole concept that, whoa, wait a second. You know, because computers up to my to me in my life had been things that you type into in a command line and, and you know, you could make little, you know, games or whatever. But the idea that it could take a real world thing and incorporate it. And then, of course... People, you know, actually didn't scan people in, at least that we know of. Um, uh, but there's a few people I wonder about. Uh, but, <laughs> but they but they started scanning documents. And the format for those scans of those documents was by far uh, very contested at the very beginning. I mean, I remember there was the TIFF format, T-I-F-F. People were scanning in as JPEG, which was crazy. And, you know, Adobe has the standard of PDF and there's a lot of reasons why PDF took over. Some of them make sense and some of them don't. um, um, I I think the, you know, the, the picture formats people were using didn't make any sense like JPEG because JPEG puts a, makes really large files for documents and it's great for scanning a picture of you and your kids, but it's not so great for scanning a document. It's, it's just going to fill up your hard drive. But, but I think, what made PDF really great was Adobe's tools. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, you know, it's funny. I had the same experience. I, when I first started messing around with this stuff was in the year 2000. And I remember it because it was a particular case that I had and I was ready to, to work with PDFs, but I didn't really quite know what they were. And I had a friend who had a scanning company and he had scanned um, a bunch of documents, you know, for Enron, which I guess, was was nice, um, but he um, he offered to let me have some scanned documents for free. He would scan a box or a couple of boxes of documents, and I had a case that had just a couple of boxes. And so I that's when I first started learning about scanning and looking at documents on a computer. And the the format that he chose was TIFF because that's what everybody who did that kind of thing used. And I didn't know that PDFs could be used for that kind of thing. I wasn't thinking about it. But then later on, I had another batch of documents scanned by somebody else, and they accidentally created some PDFs. And they said, well, we accidentally created this PDF file. You can have that, too. And I compared the two, and I thought, well, it's kind of interesting, because with PDF Viewer, you could just flip from page to page to page. But for whatever reason, all these scanning bureaus, when they scanned the documents, they were scanning each separate page of the document as a separate file, which seemed 
not exactly the right way to do it. But um, I didn't know that PDFs would be the standard or not. I just thought, well, this is convenient for me. But the more I messed around with them, the more it seemed like it, it was kind of a natural fit. For one thing, the PDF viewer was out there. A lot of people had it. Federal courts had already decided that they were going to use that as their standard for e-filing. And most organizations, most, most companies, I think, that were going paperless were scanning to PDF because that was just, it was built for documents where there were multiple pages and you were flipping from one page to the other. So, um, you know, it, it was the one that, that seemed the most obvious to scan to if you were going to get in, into scanning, which is what I started doing in 2001 or so. Yeah. yeah, and it was really kind of a one-two punch because Adobe had the format, and it was a proprietary format at the beginning, and they had developed some really great software. And to me, the com- competitors, uh, the other formats, didn't have software as good as Adobe had to to do things with the PDFs like we're going to talk about in the show. And then Adobe, the second punch is they they kind of re- they released the PDF format, so they're not the only ones that can make uh, applications to manipulate that format which allows companies like Smile and other companies out there to come up with their own PDF software. So now all of a sudden you have this abundance of riches for software to manipulate the file format, and it just becomes a natural. And at this point, I think there's really no contest. PDF is the big dog if you're going to save documents. Yeah, I remember first working with the PDF format uh, years ago back in the the mid-90s in the context of desktop publishing. And it was all the Adobe products that we were using, but we had to save – we had to send PostScript files. You know, we had to use specific proprietary uh, software to save our – um, desktop publishing files as PostScript, which was great because it was, you know, previously we had literally been copying and pasting onto to, to pasteboards, big pasteboards that cameras were taking photographs of. Uh, and then the PDF was created. It, it looks like the genesis of the PDF was back in 91, and it became what we now know as the PDF, and but was a proprietary format controlled by Adobe in 93 and then they released it as an open standard in 2008 which which as you mentioned David really opened the floodgates to let people do all kinds of things with the PDF standard that we know today. All right, so now that we've given a little history lesson, let's talk about <laughs> what we can do with this stuff and um maybe we start with reading PDFs just for a minute. Um there's so, and that that's kind of the starting point, right? You get a, a file in the mail or in an email, or you scan something in with your scan snap, and you've got this image of this document on your screen, and you can read it. Well, what makes it special about reading it on your screen as opposed to reading it, you know, as a physical piece of paper? Um, well, I mean, the first thing is, I guess the the first place where most people started to notice the value of PDFs was when we would send each other Word documents or WordPerfect documents, depending on what word processing service you were using. And it would reformat based on whatever printer was connected to that computer. And so people would say, oh, I'm on page three. And then the other person was on page four. And so the PDF format was really locking down that view so that if I'm on a Mac or you're on a PC or whatever kind of printers we have, that all that goes out of the window. It's just, I have the same document that you do even though we're not dealing with paper, we have the same experience of knowing that if I'm on page two, you're on page two and that kind of thing. And so, you know, it was really about the being able to read and having the confidence that you were reading the same thing as the person that you sent the document to. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, there's other benefits when you're reading a PDF. One of them is you can potentially search it. Right. Well, that's huge. That's huge. I mean, that's the biggest, to me, that's the biggest thing about um, the efficiency of finding information and dealing with information in PDFs. And of course, this is especially true for lawyers, but it's true for anybody who's looking for information inside of documents, which we all are. Um, or we'll be doing from time to time is that ability to say, well, gee, somewhere in this document, I know that there's a passage that contains this text. And of course, the PDF has to have been made text searchable, which it usually is if it was created from a word processing program. Um, And and if it's text searchable, you just say, oh, well, I want to search for that word and see if it pops up in the PDF. And you type in command or control F if you're using one of the Adobe products and you type in the search and hit enter and bang, you're on the first page where that, that word appears and you just keep hitting enter and you keep finding every page where that word appears. And that's, that's a game changer. I mean, that's that certainly changed the way I practice law. I mean, you know, and I'm sure it changed the way you guys practice law, the ability to find information that you know is somewhere in there possibly, and then get to it really quickly. Well, and, you know, applying that to a different uh, discipline, let's say you're a student and you have lots of these handouts or other documents that have been given to you by the instructor or you've developed with your other students. There's no reason why you couldn't combine that into a big PDF. And we're going to talk about later how you would do that. Mm-hmm. And you could search it, you know, if you apply optical character recognition and we're going to talk about that as well. How do you do that? There's, it's not necessarily done when you scan a document in. In fact, I guess we should just kind of well, go down you, that rabbit hole. You guys for a are, are so excited to get all into the fancy, nifty <laughs> things you can you can do about PDFs, but I, I think you're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess the question, if we can, if we can hop back into to PDFs generally for a, a minute, is, you know, let's let's talk about, you know, PDF is a great format. Is it the best, you know, quote unquote, archival format? for documents now. You know, we've talked a lot on on Mac Power users about, you know, the the problem that we have where things go away. You know, you talk mm-hmm. David I think about papers that you wrote using MacWrite 20 25 years ago, you have no way to open now. But if you had saved those as a PDF, you you probably could. You know, I talked about a friend that I was trying to help uh open a Adobe PageMaker document. And couldn't do it because, you know, although there are successors to Adobe PageMaker, he, he can't open that PageMaker document anymore. And I know, David, you know, you big proponent of Markdown because at the core of it, it's it's just text and likely we're going to have a text editor around. So are you comfortable, you know, is PDF a great, you know, archival format for documents depending on the circumstances? Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, there's a special subset of the PDF format called PDF slash A, which is their archival subset. And it's specifically designed for that purpose um, because that question has been thought about by a lot of smart people. The idea that, well, yeah, we have these PDFs and, you know, we're up to version whatever with Acrobat and the newest version can do a lot of stuff. But what happens if 20 years from now, we just want to open that PDF? You know, we don't want to do all the bells and whistles stuff with it. And we just want to be able to read it or view it. And so the courts, the federal courts, not to get down the lawyer trail, but it's a good example because the courts, the federal courts, for example, have to anticipate this problem because they now have an electronic filing standard. And all of those documents that are filed now in court, the official version is ones and zeros. You know, it's a PDF. It's not a piece of paper, which is a 
a huge deal. And so the question of this public record not being able to be viewed 20 years from now would be a problem. So the federal courts have jumped on that um, PDS slash A standard, and they're going to start implementing it. And I'm sure most corporations <clears throat> that have to have an archival uh, <clears throat> or have to meet an archival requirement are going to do the same thing because, you know, it's one thing to not be able to open your page maker file that's yours personally. It's, it's an entirely different thing not to be able to open a public record. So PDFA is the archival standard I think most people are going to be using. And, and frankly, of, of all the formats out there now to have a digital document, I guess the question is, what's the one that's most likely to open on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise? <laughs> And I would say that's PDF. They can open anything, David. <laughs> that's they can open your McWright document. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, they, so what about uh, before we get into, you know, various options, what are the options out there for, for reading and, and writing and annotating and, and working with, with PDFs? I know, Ernie, you've, you've mentioned the Adobe products, and, and I'll tell you candidly, I don't use the Adobe products much. I, I do have Adobe Reader um, on my Mac at the office for, for some, uh, you know, standard things that, that it does. But um, I know there's a there's a, a free reader version of the Adobe product, and then there's a, is it Pro, Acrobat Pro, what it's called, or is it just Acrobat? And then there's some different versions on the PC. Right. So there, so the reader version is the thing that originally um, would just basically let you read PDFs. And then over the years, as they've um, improved Acrobat, they've also improved Reader. And the latest version of Reader, which is version 11, uh, actually does a lot of stuff. It, it lets you highlight, it lets you um, annotate in a lot of ways that are similar to um, Apple's preview um, tool. But Acrobat is the is the flagship program that Adobe puts out, and they, they have two versions of it. So they have a professional version and a standard version. Now, if you're on a Mac, which of course most people on this podcast will be, um, you can only get the professional version, which costs $420. So that's a lot of money. And I would say that if you have a Mac, you shouldn't spend $420 to get Adobe Acrobat Professional because you can just get some other programs that we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure. Um, the first choices are the well, reader well, wait, let's just I want to stop there for a second. Yeah. I, there's, there's two points I want to make. Number one is I don't understand why Adobe did that. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So they've got the souped-up version, and then they have the restricted version. And on the PC... You could buy Adobe Standard, which does like 99% of all the stuff we're going to talk about on the show. And it's about 100 bucks. And uh, stan Standard's 300 Is it 300 uh -huh. now? Yep. Yep. See, I'm I'm dating myself then. Yeah. Because it used to be around 100 bucks. Right. Yeah, it's 300 now. Wow. Okay, well, then that makes it easier. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to make it the comment that it seems really kind of cheesy that they won't put the standard version on the Mac, but I guess they're going to charge 300 for standard then who cares. But uh, the other point I would make is uh, unlike Katie and Ernie, I have not installed Adobe reader on my Mac intentionally because it mm -hmm. feels to me like every time I try and open a PDF, it's, it's like putting Adobe in my face and it's got <laughs> the updater to the updater. And right. I just, I feel like I didn't uh, if, for a basic, pr a basic PDF manipulation preview, if that's all you need as reader, then preview is built in and it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, preview actually does more things than, than reader. So why would you even, if you have a Mac, why would you even bother with 
Adobe Reader. Um, I mean, I mean, I focus on those just because I started a, a blog called PDF for Lawyers, and I learned a lot about it, and I'm asked to talk about it, and so I have to keep up with it because a lot of lawyers and a lot of people in general use the Adobe products. I am with you guys. Like Adobe annoys me to no end in how they do things. I don't get why they operate the way that they do, but um, you know, they're a big company and so they don't listen to me. Yeah. So then let's talk about the, um, the Apple solutions. Cause there's some great solutions for that come built in on your Mac. Yeah. Well, the, the preview um, tool that we've just talked about a little bit, that is an amazing tool. I mean, it, you know, you can, you can uh, split PDFs, which is, you know, you can, if you have a PDF that has multiple documents, essentially, because somebody scanned a batch of documents, all as one PDF, you can pull out segments and create subsets very quickly and easily using preview. Uh, this is something that some guy named David Sparks talked about in his book called Paperless, which I highly recommend. <laughs> um, and so there's all kinds of things you can do with preview. It's a, it's a great tool. That's what I would start using if you don't really know what to use on your Mac. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think one of the things I want people to get out of this show is to understand where the lines are drawn, because if you want to get serious about PDFs, realistically, you've got, um, you've got the free version of preview that's built in. Then you've got uh, the software by people we know and love, which we're about to talk about, which is um, a little a little bit of money. And then you've got the $450 or $420 Adobe Acrobat Pro. And I think you need to have an appreciation for at what point do you need to start spending money and what do you get for that? Right. And, and I think uh, if you don't know, one of the things I would recommend is just open up preview and see if it solves the problem that you have. I mean, to do basic highlighting, assuming it's already been uh, character recognized because preview doesn't do that. And assuming that you want to do really just basic annotation uh, every year, Apple does a little bit of update to preview and it gets a little better and, and it, it solves a lot of those problems for you. Another feature on the app, uh, an Apple native feature that I think is just you know, it was one of the things that just continues to blow me away about the Mac is I can print any document from any application to PDF very easily. Yeah, that's huge. That's, yeah. I mean, the, the ability to convert from a Word document or an Excel document to a PDF simply by, quote unquote, printing to PDF is huge. And on the Mac, it's really easy. Yeah, so it's built right in. So if you go to the print dialog uh, and any application, it doesn't have to be Excel. It could be Omni Outliner or it could be, you know, anything that has a print dialogue, you know, mind mapping, whatever. And right. uh, the lower left corner is a little button that says PDF. And if you tap on that, it gives you several options, one of which is save as PDF. And so, you know, that is a great way to do it. I had um, a friend of mine that watched that Omni Focus video I made and he said, you know, can I have an, the uh the outline of it, I'd like to kind of follow along. So I just printed my mind map out to PDF and sent it to him. It's, it's just so easy. Right. And, and as a self plug, I, I did a video on how to do that even easier with just two keystrokes with a keyboard shortcut. It's called save as PDF shortcut or something. I'll put it in the show notes, but um, on the Mac, it is ridiculously easy to convert anything to PDF. And one of the things Ernie was saying earlier is about character recognition. Well, if you print a document on your computer to PDF, it's always going to have that optical character recognition. It's going to have the ability to read the words. Right. So, so that's another reason why to do it from your computer. Yeah. One of the, so one of the things I would tell people who don't use PDFs that much 
and they just use them to read is to is to find something different, something new, some new way of doing things with PDS that makes your life easier and better. And the one that I think would work for the most number of people is using the highlighting tool because you know, you go, that's what you do with paper, right? You go through some document and you're saying, well, what parts of this are important? So I'm reading and then I highlight it. I'm reading and I'm highlighting. So with preview, you can use that. There's a shortcut. So I would learn the keyboard shortcut by looking at what it is when you get the drop down menu and say, okay, I'm going to use the keyboard shortcut and I'm going to go through this PDF. And as I read it, I'm going to highlight stuff I think is important. This is what students would do. This is what business people do. This is what every human being would do with a PDF. And one of the really cool things about Preview uh, is that, and this is a feature that's only available in Acrobat Professional, that's not available in Adobe Reader, but it's free in Reader. I mean, sorry, it's free in Preview. As you highlight text, the the little panel that displays on the side that will show what text you've highlighted so that you can click on that and jump from passage to passage that you've highlighted, it will capture the words that you highlighted so that you don't have to. So as you look over on the left-hand side, you'll see the words you highlighted, which is kind of like a mini summary of the document you've been through. So if it were a book and you highlighted all those words like people do in their Kindle, you can quickly go back and and skim and see everything that you thought was important. That's huge. I mean, wow. I, I use that all the time. Yeah, just like I got yesterday after we finished recording our show, we did a live show yesterday at the, um, I went through the mail, you know, it's my usual thing. And I went through and I got the car registration for my wife's car. I have to do, I have to get it smogged and there's a deadline that I have to write a check by. And I highlighted those two things in the PDF and then saved it. Now it's in my system and OmniFocus and all the other stuff. But the point is uh, when I go to pay that bill, I'm not going to have to scan it. You know, I'm going to open up the PDF. It's going to have the pieces that I need highlighted already. And that took you know, it took as long as it took me to read it to do that. Right. And you yeah. could do that with preview. It's just built right in. Yep. Yep. It's powerful. It's a really, it's a really powerful program. Yeah. And then of course the, the other option that we've alluded to all along and full disclosure, smile is a sponsor, but is it's the, uh, it's the Genesis sponsor of the show. I mean, it's <laughs> it like, <is. laughs> um, but is a PDF pen and there are a couple of different versions. There's the standard PDF pen and there's PDF pen pro, which is personally my preferred PDF application on the Mac. I know David kind of poo pooed me for, for having reader installed on my work machine, but there are Shame on you. some instances <laughs> uh, where there are proprietary Acrobat formats that you have to have reader installed in order to read. But, you know, PDF Pen is is my preferred application for reading PDFs on my Mac because it will do a lot of these fun things that we're going to talk about later in the episode, like being able to annotate PDFs. Um, the big one that you guys have already alluded to is being able to uh, OCR a document. And that's where it takes a flat PDF, something that, say, maybe you've scanned in or somebody else has scanned in and sent to you, something that was maybe not saved off of your computer, uh, and we'll go through and and look at the flat text on that document and and turn it into uh, text that the computer can read, so that you can do fun things like like highlight it and and annotate it and and tell and do search and find and replace. So those are those are big things we'll talk about later. Yeah, and I've used PDF Pen, and I think it's a great program. And I think that once people understand the power of PDFs, they're going to need a program like that, that does th those kinds of things like OCRing, form creation, and so forth, the things that we're going to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, and, you know, 
if you don't want to spend $420, it's, it gets you pretty far along the road. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, the, I think there's also a bunch. I'm ahead, sorry. David. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, there's also a lot of options on iOS. Yeah. In fact, that may be a good place to go next. But uh, before we do, David, do you want to take a quick break and talk to us about our first sponsor? Yes, I would, Katie. We went to the holiday party last night for, you know, the firm, right? So I wanted to have a really good shave before the holiday party. So you know what I did, right? Broke out my Harry's razor, you know, put away the electric razor for the night, put on the, you know, put on the shaving cream, did it right. Harry's is another one of these sponsors that I love because that's not necessarily a technology company, but they're taking a geek attitude towards their product. And uh, we're all tired. All of us that buy these razors are tired of going to the store and paying all this money. They kind of, they have it locked away in this cabinet and you just feel like, you know, you're being tread upon by these people selling this stuff to you. And not to mention just the way they look, you know, my, you know, my, the razor I was using before was like green and like looked like a spaceship. And I just want a razor, you know. And so Harry's has decided to get in the game and take the middleman out and give you a better shaving experience. So it started with two guys who wanted a better product without paying an arm and a leg to get it. And they do a couple things different. The first is they make their own blades. Uh, they started researching it and they found a factory in Germany that makes these great blades. So they bought the factory. So they're, they get, they got a great blade and then they have these high quality uh, German blades crafted by shaving experts and it gives you just a better shave and it, you know, respects your face and your wallet. There's no more poor quality blades and with the efficient uh, business model, the stuff just shows up in the mail when you need new ones and it's a fraction of the price of drugstore costs. So you don't have to go deal with the plexiglass cabinets and you know the clerk that gives you all a hard time they just show up in the mail uh harry's blades offer high quality shave that's better for your face and your wallet i love them um it's about half the price of the big branded blades and in my opinion they're superior so i I always use them when we have something important we're gonna go take the christmas picture today right after the show so i've got all this family stuff going on it's again, that's a Harry's event, man. I'm going to be giving myself a good shave for that. Uh, they ship free to your front doorstep. And the starter set is an amazing deal. For $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. You know, why pay $32 for an eight-pack of blades when it's half the price at Harry's? On average, um, an everyday shaver sells for $150 each year on blades. Harry's is much less expensive. And you can get a discount. So if you go to Harry's, go to harrys.com. And they'll give you $5 off uh, with the coupon code MACPOWER, M-A-C-P-O-W-E-R. And that gets you $5 off your first purchase. That's harrys.com, coupon code MACPOWER. In addition to taking care of yourself, this would also be a good Christmas present. So go check them out. And thanks, Harry's, for sponsoring the show. So, you know, Ernie, we talked earlier about, you know, PDFs basically being the, the replacement for for paper. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, we got this magical new device called the iPad. And the dream, at least for geeks like me, is, you know, what what do we see in the TV shows is we see Captain Picard and everybody else walking around with these digital devices, and they don't carry notebooks in the future. You know, they don't have pens and pencils and notebooks and things like that. What, what do they have? They have these pads. And now we've got them too, because we've got these iPads. And so at least my thought was, boy, you know, in the future, 
which is not that far off now. We're going to not have paper. We're not going to have notebooks. We're not going to have any of these things. We're just going to have electronic documents, and we're all going to be walking around with our with our iPads. Are we close? I think we are. I think we're basically there. I mean, um, yeah, I have an iPad. I've had you know an iPad since it came out, and I've watched the evolution of uh, PDFs on the iPad, and and we're basically there. I mean, I, I pretty much everybody I know that wants to um, has the ability to put PDFs on their iPad and read them just as they would as a, you know, if it were a piece of paper. Now, I mean, it, if you have the iPad mini, which is my go-to iPad, the size is a little smaller. Um, so there's that, but other than the size being smaller, which of course, you know, you can fix by, you know, enhancing the, by zooming in, um, it's it's basically you're carrying around you know the Library of Congress you know on a small device. Who doesn't want that? Well, we're recording this on a Sunday, and tomorrow I'm going to be in an all day deposition with thousands of pages of documents, and it's all on OCR PDFs that are bookmarked, which we're going to talk about, and that's going to be about all I use during the day tomorrow, and uh, it's all on the iPad. I just, you know, it's amazing to me when I look back on how things used to be compared to how they are now with this iPad. Yeah, it's, it's, so one of the things that I found interesting, because I, I, I'm always intrigued by the social aspect of technology and how it affects people's behavior and so forth. And, um, you know, we all know this because we, we go into court and we are all trial lawyers. And there's this weird thing, you know, when you walk up to the judge's bench and if you want to say, well, Your Honor, I need to point out that my opponent miscited something or said something was wrong. If you're carrying a piece of paper, fine. We're all used to that. If you're kind of awkwardly holding a laptop, the judge looks at you like, please don't approach me with that device. But if you walk up with an iPad, it's a very natural thing. And in fact, at this point, most of these judges have iPads. In fact, the federal fifth, the fifth circuit, which isn't the federal appellate court in charge of Louisiana, Texas, and, and uh, Mississippi, all of those judges now get iPads and they review briefs on iPads. So the idea of looking at information on an iPad has pretty much taken the world by storm. And, and people who previously resisted it or, you know, didn't really embrace it that much suddenly have embraced it. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle really to me. I did a um, I did a talk for the Federal Judicial College a year or two ago, and so it's all these federal judges. And the biggest problem they have is they have to take all these documents home every day because when you're a judge, you've got many you know attorneys, many cases in front of you. You've got all these motions you need to read. So they'd go home for the weekend and they'd bring a box of documents to read. And they love their iPads because now they just take one little iPad home, and they sit and read it. Right? Okay. So without going too deep into the, the legal stuff, which I'm, I'm afraid we may be prone to do in this episode, walk me through, you know, process-wise, you know, David, maybe if it's an example like you're doing tomorrow or, or Ernie, an example, tell me, tell me or tell our audience, how do you organize, bookmark, and I know we'll get into more detail later in the episode, but, but big picture, organize, bookmark, store, and get this stuff on your iPad. You want to start, Ernie? Um, sure. Uh, but before we go there, can I just inter interject one point? Ernie made the point about his iPad mini. Um, to me, PDFs are so important to the iPad. I mean, it's such a big part of what I do on the iPad that I've always used the large iPad. And that's probably the, the primary reason why I always buy the bigger one. 
Yeah, and I guess I haven't I haven't yet experienced what the newest um, version is like. I've, I've picked it up in the Apple Store, but I kind of like my iPad Mini. But yeah, I can see. I think if you're using PDFs a lot, then you probably want to use the bigger one. Um, but to answer Katie's question, it's you know, and, and it's this is not so much of a lawyer thing. It's just that lawyers, I think, deal with paper. And they have to manage it in such precise ways, and the, the you know the margin for error is small, and we have lots we've always had lots of paper that we have very um well developed systems I think you know so other people may as well, but for sure lawyers have well developed systems for managing their information, and that's largely what paralegals did with with paper and one of the reasons I was able to leave the big firm and continue to do commercial litigation without a paralegal or secretary was I was paperless and I knew how to do this organization thing with, with PDFs and how it works is you just get the documents you want to have with you. You decide what order you want them to be in, just like you would with paper. I mean, basically you're just replicating the same process you would with paper. You put them in folders. Okay. Well then you, you tag them either by bookmarking them or putting them in, in separate PDFs and then you organize them in a way that, um, you know, the first document you want to look at is there. If, you, if they need to be chrono chronologically organized, there are ways to do that, which we could talk about. And you have them in, in your your uh, program on your iPad, which which program, it doesn't matter. They all work the same way. And you say, okay, well, I'm opening up this document. So you open it up. You look at what you need to look at. If you need to jump to a particular page, you know how to do that. If you need to search for a word, you do it the same way on the iPad that you would on a computer. You type in, you know, command F or you tap the find thing and you start searching. So it's, it's really, it's not that hard. It's basically just like organizing paper. It is, but there's some, there's some tricks to it. And, um, and I guess we should probably start there. Is, is how do you get the documents in and what are the format questions and how do you organize them? Uh, so let's start with getting documents in. We talked a little bit already, like on the Mac, the save to PDF button, which is magical. You know, you can be in any document or website or basically any file on your Mac and you can turn it into a PDF. And when you do that, it's going to be searchable because it's saved from a computer source. So it's going to have the words in it built already. So that's, you know, capturing digital is, is very easy on the Mac. Uh, capturing digital on the iPad or iOS in general is not quite as easy. Um, there are some extensions now starting to show up that allow you to save a document as a PDF in the extension menu. Yeah, Readle's got one. They're PDF. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, I'm and looking up great. the name of that actually right now. Yeah, yeah. Check it. Get, let's get it in there. But uh, that is not everywhere because there's certain places it doesn't exist. I mean, one of them that I've talked about on the show quite a bit is emails. I mean, a lot of times you get an email and you want that email to become uh, a piece of evidence or maybe just a archival record for yourself or whatever. Um, you can save this, the PDF attachment in the file as a PDF, but the actual email itself, it's actually quite difficult to save that out as a PDF we had a listener actually create a service uh, after listening to our show where you could forward an email to that person and he would, he had a script that would turn it into a PDF and mail it back to you. But obviously people weren't all that excited about sending their email to somebody out in the world and having them, you know, <laughs> convert right, it for them, right. you know, it's and um, um, PDF converter, by the way, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, so 
so how do you get an email turned into a PDF on iOS? I mean, I think the solution I've ultimately resolved is I put it into my action folder. And next time I'm sitting at my Mac, I hit my magic keyboard shortcut and do it very quickly. But if you're someone like Federico, who works almost exclusively on the iPad, I don't think there's an elegant solution for you yet. But uh, so that for that big category of ca- capturing digitally is in large part solved on the Mac and still needs a little bit of work on the iPad. Right. And um, for, what it's, for what it's worth, my method of dealing with the email problem is I would just forward it to Evernote. Yeah. Well, that would do the same thing, wouldn't it? Because it captures the whole thing. It does OCR yeah. and it puts it in Evernote, but it doesn't save it as a PDF in Evernote, does it? No, it doesn't, but I don't really care because it's just, you know, like I, I don't need it to be a PDF. It's a, yeah. It was an email. I just need to be able to read it and get it, whatever attachment was uh, attached to it. And if, and if you're, if you're relying on Evernote to organize the stuff related to whatever it is you're dealing with, right. that's a great solution. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand why iOS doesn't have a equivalent save to PDF button right. that's 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 everywhere. Um, and and I think that with iOS eight, we have the extensions showing up like Readles right now, um, which led to a question. I actually put this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, I would really love to have extensions available for email messages. And that tweet got so much response. I mean, there's so many people that feel the same, you know. So um, hopefully that's coming at some point. I'm sure that's a that's on the the whiteboard somewhere in Cupertino. But yeah, and I, and I don't want to dwell on it for a long time, but it, it is it is a sticky point if you're you know trying to get into the system. But uh, on your Mac, you're pretty much set at this point. Then the other types of documents you get are not digital. It's the kinds of things where someone gives you a box of documents or something comes in an envelope in the mail or for what, you know, whatever. You've got a piece of paper in front of you and suddenly you need to get that into a digital form. Um and for that stuff, I would recommend getting a document scanner. And, you know, we've yep. got a, another sponsor, uh, you know, but honestly, I can't think of recommending anyone other than Fujitsu because I've been buying them and using them for so long. And they do such a good job supporting the Mac. And if you listen to the show, you've probably heard me talk about it a lot because they're a frequent sponsor. In fact, are they a sponsor of today's show? They are, David. Would you like to? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want me to? I don't know. what. But either way, it, you need a good document scanner that supports the Mac and has optical character recognition built in, and Fujitsu handles that. So we're going to talk more about that later. Uh, but there's another option for that is is using the um, your iOS devices. There's a lot of great apps out there that can take a picture of a document and they can turn it into a PDF. And there's some that can even apply OCR, like, you know, PDF Pen Scan Plus is um, a smile solution that does that. So, right. so and, and I find those useful on in a jam. You know, those iOS things are great. Like when I'm at a remote location and I don't have a scanner with me and there's a document that suddenly I realize I need, I will whip out my phone, take a picture with PDF Pen Scan Plus, OCR it, save it to Dropbox or whatever, and I'm done. But for, you know, the heavy lifting of scanning, when the stuff shows up in the mail or I have boxes of documents, nothing for me is better than having a scanner I can just dump pages into and push the button and let it go. Right. But so go ahead, Ernie. Well, I totally agree about the Fujitsu scanner. And, and I think that that's, so I think that, and I've talked to a lot of people about how to become paperless. And there really are two steps. Um, one is, you know, learn to use PDFs better. And the other one is get a good scanner. And I agree about the Fujitsu ScanSnap. It has been the go-to scanner for 
ever. Like for like, I don't know, eight years, 10 years, whatever. When it first came out, it was the one. And then there have been other scanners that have popped up that people say, well, could you try this one? And I try it. And it's, you know, either the software isn't that great or there's some issue, but the Fujitsu has been the one that if if you go to anywhere where there are techies who understand this kind of stuff and you ask them what scanner they have, they all have the Fujitsu scan set. You know what? I guess we should just go and do the ad spot. <laughs> and our second sponsor yeah. for this episode, I'm not kidding, um, are our friends over at Fujitsu. And you can find more information about those scanners. We'll, we'll, I mean, we might as well just own this. Uh, over yeah. at com slash SSMPU. And that stands for ScanSnap MPU. Uh, they do have a couple of different model scanners that you may want to take a look at. Um, the first, the, the Mac Daddy of all those scanners. And you know, people ask me all the time, what what scanner do you recommend? And my answer is, it depends. But if you're if you're doing desktop scanning, you're looking for a scanner for your desk, and you can afford it. Uh, the IX500 is really their flagship scanner. It's a full duplex scanner with a 50 sheet feeder, and it, it connects to you via USB 3.0. It will do up to 25 pages per minute, and it will scan directly uh, to a Mac or PC or to a mobile device via Wi-Fi if you want. Uh, it's got an advanced paper feeding system uh, and this really unique sonar type thing uh, that will really reduce jam. So it is clearly their premier scanner. Uh, next down the line um, is is probably a great medium level scanner for, for most people. If you're not scanning a big backlog, if you're looking for something that's a little bit portable, um, if the IX500 is just a little bit too much, uh, probably the happy compromise for most people is going to be the S1300i. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it'll fit in a small shoebox. Uh, it is portable. It does 12 pages per minute. It also has a document feeder, uh, two-sided multi-page scanning. And so this is kind of a scanner that you can, you can fit in a drawer. It'll, it'll take up a small space on your desktop, uh, or you can, you can throw it in and take it in your luggage with you. But if you really want the ultimate in portability, uh, what you want to check out is the new IX 100. Um, this is what I call their magic wand scanner. It is the ultimate in portability. It's designed to scan a single page at a time. It'll do scans up to 300 DPI in 5.2 seconds. It will fit in a glove box, a briefcase, or a backpack because it weighs only 14 ounces. It's USB powered. It's got a little battery in there, so you can either scan it directly to a computer via USB or you can go completely wireless and not even take your computer with you uh, to a Mac or PC, or to your iOS or Android device. So uh, if you're out and about, if you're on site, if you're a road warrior, you don't even have to take your computer. You can scan directly to iOS or wirelessly uh, to iOS or Mac. So uh, always included in all of these products are the uh, great Fujitsu uh, software that will allow you to stitch your documents together, that will scan to a number of different cloud services, including Evernote, including Dropbox, uh, to OCR your PDFs, to scan to a folder, to scan to email, uh, and so much more. So you can check out the whole line of Fujitsu products, which, as you can tell, we're all big fans of. And I <laughs> swear this was not planned. Um, over at easy.com slash SSMPU. Uh, and thanks to Fujitsu for sponsoring the show. How'd you like that? I just broke in there like that. I think we did okay yeah. with that. Okay. We, we did kind of fall into it. The, um, I, I, but either way, so you're going to get your these documents that show up into a digital form. And I guess that's the first point of collection. And a question that is going to arise at this point is to OCR or to not to OCR. And I've kind of run, 
I have a I have a journey that I'd like to explain about this. <laughs> because you know, you and when, I were just talking about this yesterday because I have a yeah, similar problem. Yeah. So when I first started down this road years ago, doing optical character recognition was really a task because the software wasn't that great. The computers weren't that powerful. And you could literally see it going through and looking at each word and it would stop once in a while and have you explain, well, what is this word? And it couldn't, you know, couldn't read half of it. And it just felt very tedious to such an extent that I would only do optical character recognition on documents that really, really needed them. And then you know, a few years ago, I realized, you know, computers are a lot stronger. The software is a lot better. And the OCR is, is really seamless now. Like with the Fujitsu, when you when you scan in, if you have the, the right box ticked, it does it right there. It, it adds a little bit of time as it does it. But, I mean, it just happens seamlessly. And there's other great applications out there you can buy for the, the Mac or the iPad that will do the optical character recognition for you. But I'm finding, so I, I came to the conclusion, I'm just going to OCR everything. But then I've got things where it doesn't make sense. I had a, a a thing I was working on recently that had a lot of scientific papers involved. And we had just OCR'd everything because that's what we do. And trying to highlight a page that has really bizarre formatting on it and boxes and formulas and everything uh, became nearly impossible. Just to highlight two words, everything, no matter what application you used, it was getting hung up. Hmm. It yeah. was such a, it, it got uh, so bad that I just re rescanned them without the OCR. And just there's one, them. there's one trick you can do that sometimes fixes that problem. And I don't know if it would have worked for you, but it is to zoom in really tight, you know, make it really big so that when you select, you're not selecting things weirdly. Yeah. I tried that. And the problem yeah, okay. was it was, even though I thought I was just getting the words and then I zoom back out and it had right. picked up a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it, it, I had a similar problem and you, you and I, David actually discussed this and I think I'm going to try your solution uh, where I've been um, OCRing and scanning in uh, again, not to get too legal bound, but a, a bunch of uh, handouts for, for my master's class are, you know, these, these wacky tax statutes and they're, they're formatted weird because, you know, things that have math equations can be formatted weird and, and sometimes the the way that we do legal briefs are, are formatted weird. And I was having trouble when I was going in and trying to highlight things, that it was highlighting multiple lines and, and wasn't letting me get in there granularly and, and highlighting. So I think I, although OCR would certainly be helpful in some of that, um, I, I may turn it off for certain pages as well. well. Well, it just seems to me like there's a new category of documents in my life. It's documents that I don't feel that I'm ever going to need to search, but I am going to want to highlight, and they're difficult to highlight if they're OCR'd. So there's, you know, several criteria that have to be satisfied. So I'm not doing this very often, but when I do jump into that, I am going to just not OCR those documents. Yeah. Anyway, so so you get the documents into your system, you get them OCR'd, and then you need to organize them. And I think that's the next really big tip. In fact, that this might be the winner for people listening is a table of contents. Yes, table of contents is huge. Um, and that you basically can do by, by bookmarking. I mean, that's what, to me, to me, that's what bookmarks are, is bookmarks are a way of establishing what the, the table of contents of the document is. And um, so, yes, the ability to create bookmarks, which is easier to do on a computer than on um, an iPad, but you can do it on an iPad pretty easily too. Um, is, is the key thing. So that's, you know, that's what I do when I, I have case documents or any kind of documents where there are groups of documents that are related 
and you don't want to have them as separate PDFs because you know every time you deal with them, you're probably going to want to have access to all of them immediately. You just glom them all together and then bookmark each separate document as a separate document. Give it whatever name you give it. You can have subparts or sub um, bookmarks so that they're nested and you know the subparts of one document can be nested under the main bookmark. That's a, a trick I always use and I'm sure you guys do that too. Um, so really it's the bookmarks to me is the way you create the table of contents. I don't know if you guys do it a different way. Yeah. So let's say you're a sales guy and you've got a big client and you frequently go visit them and you've got an iPad and it's one of those clients that always fires questions at you. You could have a PDF document that has the contract. It has the shipping notices. It has the supplier information. You could have all the stuff separated as separate bookmarks or table of content entries. And that that's kind of a term of art. I believe uh, Smile and PDF Pen calls them table of contents and Adobe calls them bookmarks. Right. But they're the same thing and, and, and it works across platforms. So if you make them in Adobe and you go to Smile, they show up or vice versa. So, uh, but having all that stuff done in one file is kind of the, is, is the trick because if you have separate files for the the bill of lading and the, and the contracts and the shipping notices and all that, you're going to have to jump between different files to get the information. Whereas if you have it in just one big massive file and you've properly bookmarked it with modern computers and iPads, you're going to be fine. Unless, you know, I've got files on my iPad right now that are thousands and thousands of pages organized that way. And it, it makes you feel like you're omnipotent because you can jump through anything quickly. And because it's organized and scanned and OCR'd, you can search it as well and get to the bottom of so many things. And right. with the and with the software, so there's a couple things. The first is you need to set those up. And you can't do that. This is one of those lines that get drawn. You cannot set up a table of contents or bookmark in preview. It just doesn't support it. Right. You can't, well, I was just playing with preview to see if you could, and you can create a bookmark, but what it does is it bookmarks the, the page, the top of the page. And so it throws in the first few words of, of the bookmark. So it's actually, so bookmarks, let's back up bookmarks in the paper world. We think of them as the thing you put at the top of the page. It says, I'm marking this page of the book. And that's the way preview is doing it in Acrobat and in, and in PDF pen and the other programs, you can bookmark an area within the page. So you can say this text over here is where I want to zoom into. And in fact, when I zoomed in, this view is what I want the bookmark to be when I click on it. So it's more, it's a more sophisticated kind of bookmark that you can create with these other tools, but within preview, you can create it. It's just that it's like putting the little red bookmark at the top of the page and then grabbing the first few words. Yeah, I, I just don't find it adequate. And it, it will read bookmarks from the outside applications, but creation of them is just, right. it's just yeah. not good. Yep. So so that's something that's kind of important if you're going to be working with these large files. But creating them, and then Ernie had made reference earlier, one of the tricks is you that you nest them. People forget that. You can do that. So when you start creating the bookmarks, you have like first level, second level. Sometimes I have four different levels to the bookmarks in one of these large files. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that um, it took me, I can't believe it took me this long to figure this out because I used to, when I was creating the nested bookmarks, if I, when I needed to do that, and typically I would have, you know, five or six or 10 or whatever things that I would need to nest under one, I would sit there and drag each one to the new level. 
And then one day I realized that if you hit the shift key and grab the whole batch of them, <laughs> you could drag them over at once. So if anybody else is doing what I did, please stop that. It's inefficient and it will make your life easier if you select them all by, you know, contiguous selection. It's, um, it's very useful to have these bookmarks and, and it's also useful for your reader. So, um, I'm going to do one legal analogy and one, or not an analogy. I'm going to do one legal example and one uh, business example. So go back to that, that thing you were doing with your client and you're going to send them a proposal. Why not bookmark the entire proposal and, you know, have the section in there about what you're going to deliver and what it's going to cost and what you know, technologies you're using or whatever. If you bookmark the entire thing for them, it just takes a few minutes. And if the person is reading it on an iPad, which is increasingly likely, they're going to be able to jump through it very easily. Now, um, in as a as a legal example, I know we have some lawyers, and Katie, don't get on me too fast here, but <laughs> but like in the courts in California, you are required to to bookmark the exhibits to a motion. When I file a motion, all the bookmarks are the exhibits are bookmarked because the judges are going to want to be able to jump to them. But I always bookmark the entire brief. I bookmark every point that I make in the brief and the introduction and every sub point. And when a judge opens my brief on their digital device, they're going to be very easy. They, they see the exact outline of my argument. I actually use it as a device to help win my case. And I, I just think people should be very aggressive about using bookmarks when they're putting these things together, if they're going to share it with another person, because it's one more way to convey what you're trying to say to somebody. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that you want to do when you create those bookmarks is you, if you can, if the, if the software lets you do it, which um, Adobe Acrobat does, and I just checked and PDF pen does as well is to set it so that those bookmarks or the bookmark panel shows up so that people who aren't familiar with bookmarks see that they're there. It's just so useful. I mean, it's yeah. useful as a user. If you're a student and you have all the instructional materials in one PDF file and you bookmark it and you're sitting in class, you can jump to whatever section you need very quickly. It's useful for the reader. And I guess that's, you know, every show I like to say, what's the one point you need to take away from the show? And I think the one point from this show, if you're not using bookmarks or table of contents entries, you need to. Yep. I agree. And, and so what software do you need to do to realistically create it? Um, you need Adobe Acrobat. Uh, which is quite expensive, as we've already established, um, or PDF Pen Pro. You need the Pro version for the bookmarks. So, yeah. yes. So the, that's the two that I would I would look at seriously. And, and Ernie's right; creating them on the iPad is possible, but I have found it much more time consuming. And um, unless you're an iPad only person, I would not recommend it. Yeah, no, P PDF Pen Pro, I mean, if you're going to get PDF Pen, you should just get the Pro version. I mean, it's not, the, the price difference is not that much. And the thing that's going to happen is, as you get better at using this, one day you're going to realize you're missing something that you need that's in PDF Pen Pro. So I, I would just get PDF Pen Pro. Do you, do you guys know if you, what's the shortcut for creating a bookmark in PDF Pen? I should know this, but I don't. But whatever it is, um, you should see if this trick works, because this is a trick that works in Acrobat, is if you highlight text and then you use this keyboard shortcut, does it copy that text into the bookmark name? That's a time saver. And it's it's usually useful. Yeah, I, I think I it's a shift command A. 
And it works. Yep. Yep. It'll copy the text in. That great. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way to do it because what'll happen is you'll go through a document and you'll see the natural things that should be the, you know the the headings and the subheadings. And all you do is you just you're selecting the headings and then the subheadings and you hit shift command A, shift command A, shift command A, and it'll copy that text in and then you do your nesting quickly and now you have a table of contents created for that document which took you no time at all. Yeah. I actually yeah, couldn't I, tell you I had to look at my keyboard and do it. <laughs> I am um, yeah. I actually generally don't do that because I, I make my um table of contents entries a lot, quite often different than those words. Mm-hmm. If it's something I might want to truncate them, or like I said, what a lot quite often I'm doing is legal briefs and I try to kind of almost write argument into those table of contents entries. Right. I sure hope I sure hope opposing counsel in any of my cases is not listening to this. <laughs> So will you, you will you create then, David, your table of contents like as a separate text document and then manually put in links or? No, I, I yeah, I, I create the links in the document when it's when it's done. And right. then I, I write but I write the table of contents. I don't you write don't it. You write it. it separately. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. it. All right. Well, I want to I think we probably need to talk about some. Oh, we've talked a lot about bookmarking, but some of the other cool things that you can do with PDFs. I mean, we've touched a little bit on OCR, but we haven't even talked really about annotating PDFs or mm-hmm. signatures with PDFs or any of those things. And uh, gosh, there's a lot more that you can do with PDFs. Uh, before we go there, David, why don't you why don't you tell us about a site where you can learn more things about PDFs and all kinds of stuff? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good idea, and that is lynda.com. <laughs> uh, lynda.com has uh, been a sponsor of ours for some time, and I've been a subscriber for years. It's an easy and affordable way to help people learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. lynda.com works directly with the industry experts and software companies to provide you timely training, Often in the same day, new versions are released, by the way. Um, So you're always up to speed. So all their courses are produced at really high quality. And they're not like homemade YouTube videos. They're they're just really great instructional video. Each course is broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish. And one of the nice things I like about that is sometimes there's a course where I'm already pretty familiar with the software or the idea, and I just want to bone up on one certain part of it. Like I was trying to figure out how to bounce something out of logic, and I went and watched just that section. Um, uh, They have great tools like searchable transcripts and playlists and certificates of course completion that you can put up on your LinkedIn profile. So if you want to help yourself get a job by showing that you know all this stuff, that's a great solution as well. So whether you're a beginner or advanced, lynda.com has courses in all experience levels, and they make it easy to learn anywhere with lynda.com apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. And it's all for one low monthly price of $25, and that gives you an all-you-can-eat. I mean, you can watch as much content as you can consume, unlimited access to 100,000 video tutorials. Premium members with the annual plan can download the courses on their iPhone, iPads, and Androids and watch them offline. So I think that's great. If you travel a lot and you have sketchy uh, internet access, you could get that premium subscription and you could watch them anywhere. You can download the project files and practice along with the instructor. And Linda, uh, not surprisingly, has some great training on PDF software. So if you uh, are listening to the show and you want to get better at this stuff, go into Linda and watch some of their PDF software. Just search PDF. They've got a bunch of videos on it. You can learn it all at lynda.com. And if you go in, we can get you free access for 10 days. So 
The next time you've got a little free time ahead of you, go in, sign up for the free 10-day trial. You do that at lynda.com slash macpowerusers. Once again, that's lynda.com slash macpowerusers. 10 free days and just go nuts. You can learn a bunch of stuff and I bet you'll end up subscribing. That's what happened to me years ago and I I still use it all the time. In fact, everybody in my family uses lynda.com at this point. Um, So thanks, Linda, for supporting the show and for giving us such great instructional materials over the years. So I want to talk a little more about annotating PDFs because this is something that I've done for a while, but I, I still feel like I could be doing more. Um, highlighting PDFs, you know, we've we've touched on. Uh, I do a lot of highlighting with PDFs now that I've I've got this fancy Evernote stylus, which David, you know, you've never really told us much. I know you got it, but you've never really talked much about it about how you like it. Maybe you will at some point. I can um, talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I go through and I and I highlight things. Um, you know, I'm I'm always dragging and dropping. Uh, you know what what I would call saved things onto PDFs like my signature, my initials, um, stickers. You know, like exhibit stickers or um, you know saved graphics onto PDFs. But that's kind of the extent of of my annotation. And I know that I could be doing a whole lot more, uh, especially with commenting and sending marked up PDFs back to to people. So what am I missing there and how could I be using it more effectively? Um, Well, I think that the key things are highlighting and bookmarking. And then after you've done that, what I use a lot is drawing lines across something or box or drawing a box around something. And so when we were talking earlier about David's problem with the highlighting, not working the way he wanted with something that he had OCR, if I had that problem and I couldn't solve it by zooming in, I'd probably just default back to like drawing a, a red box around it or, or, or drawing a line because that's another form of annotation and it will show up in the annotations panel along with all the other stuff. And you'll see, well, I drew a line there, right? put a box around something, or sometimes you want to write the equivalent of, you know, you scroll in the margins of a document and say, you know, this is important because whatever you're saying, it's important because of in, um, in the PDF manipulation software, they call those sticky notes, or, or I guess that's what Adobe calls them. I don't know what PDF pen calls them, but I call them sticky notes and they're little thought bubbles that are yellow. You can make them red or whatever color you want, but they default to yellow and you just stick them next to whatever text you want to call attention to and you open them up and you type in whatever your thoughts are and those are captured as well. So those are really, to me, the go-to annotation tools. Those are the ones I use pretty much 99% of the time. Yeah. They call them notes in PDF pen and, and I use those as well. What I don't do is, and both of these applications and, and virtually everything on the iPad has the ability to take a, a pen like an Evernote stylus and handwrite an annotation on top of the document. Mm-hmm. I I don't do that. I don't either because you. It looks weird. It it never. It looks like you had some sort of muscular disorder. Yeah, and I, I will. <laughs> I will draw a circle around something with my pen, and I do use my. To answer Katie's question earlier, I use the stylus. the The primary use for me to have a stylus with my iPad is for PDF annotation. I use the stylus to lay down highlights. I use it to draw lines. I use it to. I'll draw an arrow. I'll draw a circle, uh, but I will not try and actually write change that. You know, I won't try and write you know words on it because, like Ernie says, they look terrible. For that, I will use a note or a sticky note, as you may call it, and I'll type it in, and it's it doesn't make me look like you know I've got some kind of problem, uh, but. 
but I, you know, I, I use like Ernie, a lot of different annotation tools. Most of them are for myself because I'm, you know, referring back to these documents. And one of the big advantages of this is, and I guess this kind of goes back to the beginning of the show is uh, my experience. And I'm sure Ernie had the same is the problem with using this stuff in paper before we went digital was you'd have multiple copies and you'd have one with some annotations on it and some with other annotations. And then you wouldn't know which one was the original document and it just got really crazy. But by having them in one location and annotating them, you can always get back to those source annotations, but you can just as easily print it out with no annotations on it, which is just hugely helpful. Right. Yeah. You can send, let's say if you had to send the document to somebody and you didn't want them to see your annotations, you just save it as a new one, delete all the annotations and send it on, um, which is useful. And the other thing that you can do um, with Acrobat, which I have done rarely, but when I've had to do it, it's it's been useful. Um, actually, I did it when I was writing the book on Acrobat for Lawyers and I had people reviewing it and I just sent them a PDF of the document. They, they, of course, there were people who know, knew how to use PDFs and they would annotate it. And what I did was I merged all of their annotations into one PDF so that I could see everything in one place. So that was pretty, pretty useful. Um, another thing I'd like to talk about in addition to annotation is creating rich PDFs. I kind of, you know, bet, you know, things that kind of merge a web browser and an internet experience with a, with a document, because one thing you can't do with a paper document is you can't touch a piece of it and have it jump to another piece of it. Right. And you can digitally. And this is another thing that I think is really useful for people, not just in law, but in business as well to create, you know, getting back to using your document to sell your product um, is, is to take advantage of the types of things you can do. I had a, a case a few years ago. Um, and I had it, we had a very, it was a very involved, a very large company and we had a very expensive mediator. We had hired who was a retired judge and, and he walked in the room and he looked at my client. He says, you know, I want you to know that your lawyer wrote the best brief I've ever read in my life. And it wasn't huh? because my words were so great. It was because it was a very technical telecommunications thing. And I had all of these images embedded in my PDF of how the underlying technology worked because I knew that the, the guy would have no idea what he was talking about. So I wanted to educate him. And so what I did was I, I, you know, I went, some of it was Wikipedia stuff. Some of it was stuff I made in OmniGraffle, but I had made all these great graphics to demonstrate what we were talking about. And I would embed that right in the, um, in the file. And then it was right there for him. And then I, I also, so I guess that's the first thing is you can put images in a PDF in a way that a lot of people don't think about. Do you want right. to comment on that? Yeah, you can put, well, yeah, you can put if images in there. You can also put uh, movies in there. Um, I've done that. I had a case where we needed to capture a movie, something that was on uh, a TV show that happened to be on the web that I was able to, to capture using um, ScreenFlow. And then I was like, well, okay, I need to organize this and deliver it and put it in context. So I screen captured the web page that it was on and then placed the movie file inside the web page so that I was able to then reproduce the experience of somebody that was going to that web page because I knew that, you know, in a year from now that web page wouldn't be there. So yeah, you can put you can put um movies inside of PDFs. You can attach other documents to a PDF and have them be attachments. You can hyperlink within a PDF from one page to the other. And, and that's a point I want to kind of put an exclamation point on. 
Mm-hmm. If your document is going to sell for you, why not have a section in there? Like if you're you know, going to your customer and you're saying, well, the supplies are blah, blah, blah. And you could have a, a, a hyperlink there that they could touch and it would jump in the document to that section. So in addition to having the table of contents view to allow them to move around, why not also have hyperlinks that allow them to touch a section and jump around? Yeah. I mean, yeah, make that's... these things work for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 once you start playing around with this, this uh, software, you realize that PDFs are way more powerful than just displaying paper. I mean, you know, paper-like images, they can do that obviously, but they can do all of these other things as well, like hyperlinking to a page inside of the document or hyperlinking to a video that you've put on YouTube or somewhere, you know, all of this is possible from within a PDF. So I look at a PDF as it's a digital paper, but then it, allows me to then point towards other things that aren't paper based like images or pictures or, you know, basically anything. It could be on the web. It can be as an attachment to the PDF. It can be another page of the PDF. So all of those things are possible with PDFs. And um, once you start, you know, once you realize you can do that, then you're, it's just a matter of thinking about how that could help you. And I think in most cases, there are a lot of ways that PDFs could help people um, in their particular business or if they're students or whatever they're doing, you just need to know that that's possible. And then you figure out, okay, well, how will I do it? And it's usually pretty easy. Yeah. It's really not that hard. No, not, not at all. What about cr- creating forms with PDFs? Um, forms are, so I don't know how that works in PDF pen, but I know, I know that they do it. I know that it probably works the same way it does in Acrobat, which is you get a piece of paper. Um, well, if you get a form that is a PDF form, you know, you won the lottery. Great. You fill it out and life is easy. Um, but usually what happens is somebody will send you a form that they had created on a typewriter or whatever they created on. And this has been in existence for a long time and you're expected to fill this thing out. And yes, you can scan it in and yes, you can place your little cursor there and then start using the text adding tool and add text. But that's tedious because what you want to do is just create a form for that, especially if it's something that you do um, or that's something you fill out somewhat regularly. So with Acrobat, and this I think this is only the professional version, you can say, I want to create a form from this paper document, and it's got a wizard, and it'll go through and recognize that here's a line. That's probably a place where we type. Here's a checkbox. And in a matter of two seconds, it creates a fillable form. Um, so that is really powerful, the ability to um, take a paper document and then just convert it to a form that you use is is huge. Yeah, they've got the same thing on PDF Pin now, too. I think it's – is that – a I don't even think that's a pro only version. I think that's on both versions. Well, the ability where, to create forms is a is a pro only version, but you can certainly fill out forms in either version. And in the pro version, uh, it also has this neat feature that if you scan in or or say or open a PDF, it will automatically detect form fields. So if it sees a little box, it will say, "Okay, well that's probably a checkbox." Or if it sees a line, it will assume, "Okay, that's probably a line that it's that's going to be a, a text field." Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what I was talking about with Acrobat, and that's what you want. That's huge. That's miraculous. When you use that and see that happen for the first time, you think this this is truly the future. Yeah, it really <laughs> it's it's amazing because we have it, and the most common use for this is my kids because they come home with these forms from the teachers, 
And they've been, the teachers have been using the form for 20 years and it's, there's, you know, there's nothing. I, but I snap it in the scan snap, put it into PDF pin and it just automatically creates the fields. The question I had though, Katie was, and, and maybe, you know, I thought that that feature was in both PDF pin standard and PDF pin pro no, I the be- ability. I believe it's I guess just I should know pro. that. Yeah. Okay. I'll look at it while Arnie's talking. Yeah. So one of the things, one, one of the forms that you might need to use this for is um, the IRS forms. Now, I don't understand why, but government forms seem to be locked down in weird ways that inhibit you from doing normal things. And it's not like they're top secret documents. Like the W-9 form that you would get from the IRS out there, it's, you can fill it out, but I think you can't save it. You just have to print it out immediately. So that's kind of annoying. So what I've had to do is I just, I take it and I print it out as a regular document. Then I scan it back in and now my software can see those lines and those checkboxes and I run the form wizard. And now I have a government form that works the way I want it to. Yeah, it's, it's really useful. And once you save it, then you've got a permanent digital version, you know, whether it's a government form or it's the fourth grade permission slip, whatever it, just makes a lot of sense to go ahead and do that. Yeah. Now, Ernie, I'll, I'll bring this up here because I've I've had this issue specifically with forms. I've had issues where people have sent me forms that they have filled out with um, typically on PCs, and I know you've got some experience with that. But on who knows what PDF software they're using, you know, I send them a form and they send it back to me, and. It also typically happens when maybe my assistant opens the form and says, yeah, so-and-so sent me that form and it's blank. There's there's nothing on there. And then I'll open the form and I'll say, uh, no, I, I see their responses. And so and it just deals with, have you have you seen problems with, with incompatibility, even though this PDF is, is, is typically a standard, between various PDF softwares? And is there any way to get around that? I've also seen it sometimes with encryption on PDFs. Right. You know, if I encrypt a file using one PDF program and the person that I'm sending it to is maybe using a different one that they might have trouble opening it. Right. Yeah, I have seen that. And uh, and sometimes it's for whatever reason, um, you have to use an Adobe product to, to see the PDF and to, and to be able to access those people's um, form and um, the, the, the stuff that they put in the form. That's one thing. And then the other thing that you talked about where uh, it's encrypted, that this is another example of where government forms or, you know, I often find this with court reporters, they'll, they'll lock down your ability to do something with a PDF. And it's not something that would be, you know, it, I just, I think they just use some software that locks down everything it can and nobody's ever changed the software because you'll get like a, a, a PDF from somebody and you say, oh, great, I want to take this PDF and merge it into another PDF and combine it. And then you find that you can't. And so that's because that PDF has been encrypted with not preventing it from being opened, but encrypted to limit its use. Because one of the things you can do with a PDF is you can password protect it so that it can't be opened without the password, or you can password protect it to limit its functionality in various ways. And that's the one that always trips um, me up when I get court reporter PDFs or or some from government uh, agencies. And the solution to that is uh, to Google the phrase PDF password recovery tool, and you'll find that there's software out there, which is Windows-based only, uh, I think the name of the company is Elcomsoft or something like that, but you'll find it. 
And uh, I actually did a video that I put on YouTube, which I can, I think I put that in. Yeah, I'll link it. Katie, so you can take a look. And I did a five minute video because I wanted people to see, number one, how how easy it is to break that password protection. Not the opening the, the PDF, but the limiting the functionality. It takes about two seconds. But also to see how that tool, that same tool can be used to try to guess the password to open it up, which if you have a strong password, it won't guess. But if you use the password one, two, three, four, five, six, like many people do, it'll guess that password and open it. So that video is kind of my effort to show people how to break the annoying security and why they should choose strong passwords for everything. Because these, these programs, even the free ones are the ones you can buy for little money will crack passwords pretty quickly if you're not using a strong one. Yeah, and I, I guess the disclaimer we'll we'll throw out there is we're not necessarily advocating that people go out there and use PDFs that they're not supposed to for reasons that they're not supposed to obviously be responsible. Yep. But, you know, one of the things I've often said, like kind of quick and dirty encryption for email is sometimes you need to send some information to someone and you don't want it to be in an open email. And one way to do that, I mean, there's much better ways to encrypt email. We've done shows on this, but one way is to create a PDF with the information in it and lock that PDF with a, with a shared password between you and the recipient. Right. This, this software will not assist that, will it? No, no, it won't. Because so long the, as you use a good password. Yeah, it's the same story always. You always use a good password, and as long as you're using a good password then a brute force attack will take a really long time and it won't guess the password. So, you know, don't use a password that's in the dictionary, you know, use upper and lowercase characters, use non-letter non alphanumeric characters and things like that. And if you do that, then no, it will not be able to guess the password. Yeah. Well, while so, we're you know, kind to go ahead, Dave. Wait, to totally unrelated. My daughter and I went and saw The Imitation Game. Uh-huh. You need to see this movie. Oh, I want to. It's so on my good. list. Everybody listening to the show should go see it. It's it, it pushes all the geek buttons. <laughs> okay. While anyway. while we were on the topic of security, well, I guess that is still on the topic of security. <laughs> that's, what, that's what that's what made me think of it. Yeah. While <laughs> while we're on the topic of of security, um, what about besides just encrypting PDFs? You know, do I need to be concerned? You know, there's this whole you know, thing about signing PDFs oh, and yes. here we go. Yeah, here we go. I know. <laughs> uh, and, and again, full disclaimer, we're not giving anybody legal advice, but there's this whole slew of soft, uh, you know, there, there are services. Uh, the only one that I personally am familiar with is DocuSign, but there's this whole slew of services that will allow you to do digital signatures and to sign PDFs. Um, and then there's just the whole matter of, well, I can take my signature and scan it in and, and drop it on top of a PDF which then raises the the concerns of, well, if I'm scanning my signature in and dropping it on top of this PDF and I'm sending my signature to David, can David just grab my signature off that PDF and save it to his hard drive for whatever future use he may, he may see fit? Yes, he can. And, oh and this, question came, this question came up. So I was doing a webinar for the North Carolina Bar Association just last week. And at the end, it was all about PDS. And at the end of it, somebody had this exact same question and this always comes up. And I, and I, because it was a webinar, I just said, well, let me just show you how this works. Let's take anybody's paper signature. Can I get a hold of an image of your signature? Can I display it on my computer? If I can display it on my computer, I can use the command shift three and then draw, you know, screen capture that part of the thing, open up Photoshop elements 
um, then go to work and you know erase the background and do all that usual stuff and save it to whatever program I want and start stamping your signature on anything I want. I can do that. There's nothing you can do to prevent somebody from being able to do that unless you never let your signature, um, you know, out into the wild. I mean, that's, that's also, that's also true that if I sign a letter and send it to David, he could also run through his scanner and do it. Yeah. And and that's the point. It's over. Game over. It's a piece of paper (laughs) or it's digital. It doesn't matter. There's this hang up with people that if they put it on a digital document, it's somehow more vulnerable. And that's not true. Right. Yeah. I mean, a, a true, so a true digital signature. So we throw around the phrase digital signature in the legal world, you know, there's digital signatures and then there's electronic signatures and a digital signature is one that is password protected in some kind of way. So that not only are you stamping your signature on there and doing all that, but the document itself is encrypted in a way so that after you've signed it, if anybody changes it in any way, a flag goes off or when you send it to somebody else and they receive it and they say, well, gee, I wonder if this was really signed by Katie Floyd um, or just somebody who got her signature. Oh, gee, I don't have her certificate. So somebody signed her, 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 you know, screen captured her signature and then purported to sign it, but it doesn't appear to be Katie because I don't, I have Katie's digital uh, certificate and this is throwing up a red flag. That's a true digital signature. Um, most people are, are too confused about that because you have to exchange the certificates and, you know, there's a lot more overhead that comes with that kind of signature. So for most people that's overkill and it's actually going to be counterproductive, but that's what a true t- digital signature is. And I feel like that is in the exact same category as true email encryption. It's something that is not easy enough yet for people. And the software developers need to do a better job of making that easy and, you know, and usable because now it's not. And, uh, and, and we're very, we're, we're treading on thin ice in terms of legal stuff here. But, you know, uh, if you have a settlement agreement with somebody or a contract or something, um, and you get the true digital signature set up, the other person is going to be confused and then they're not going to believe you actually signed it because they don't see your signature. They see something else on the right. screen. That, that's what I meant by counterproductive because that's been my experience. Whenever, you know, when I first discovered that you could do this, I thought, oh, that's great. I'll try to digitally sign documents. You know, it's been a law since Clinton was in office and you send this to people and they freak out because it doesn't, it's, it's got other stuff that they don't recognize. So um, I've always wondered you know, who's actually using digital signatures. And I, for a long time, I thought it might be federal judges because they have to sign orders and they're, you know, part of a government agency and so forth. And I actually had the chance to see a federal judge signing a document one time. I said, well, I mean, I said, I wanted to see how you sign orders. And he said, oh, great. Yeah, I'll show you. Well, he just took a regular stamp like we're talking about. So he, it was an electronic signature, not a true digital signature. This is what federal judges are signing orders with, proving that it would be just too confusing for anybody. So I, I, just just stamp them, flatten them. I guess we can talk about that, you know, now. But you know, you flatten them so that your signature is on the document, so that it doesn't accidentally disappear if they print it out without the annotations. Um, that's really going to get you where you need to be with a digital signature. You don't need, or really don't want, to go down the path of actually encrypting it and doing all that extra stuff. And I would add to that. I think that's the way things are now. If you send somebody a contract, they're going to say, you know what, I don't want to see that goofy Adobe digital thing. Just just sign it and send it to me. 
Right. And, and, and usually what people will say, sign it and then go ahead and scan and send it to me. So if you're going to do that, why not just use a digital version of your signature? And, and you're right. That's the way it is now. And actually, to be fair to Adobe, they, they have a new, um, well, they've had the service EchoSign and now they've built it into Reader and they've built it into Acrobat. And it's one of the main uh, menu panels on the side. And if you use that and the other person uses it and you go through this process, because Adobe has this EchoSign system, which acts as the intermediary, it fulfills the function of supplying the digital certificates and takes care of all this. And then it is pretty seamless. And there are other services. I think HelloFax does this. And there are probably a bunch of them now. And so it's actually probably a lot easier than I'm making it out to, to be. But you do have to use one of these other services. You can't just go direct back and forth between you and the other person. Otherwise, you'll get this weird... Um, unacceptable thing that they won't like. Oh, I, I've had, I've tried to do di digital signatures as well. And I've had animosity from other parties saying that, you know, we're, we're committing fraud and we're not actually signing the documents. <laughs> and, you know, and so I've got to right. the point where I've kind of given up on it for now, but yeah. I, I don't believe that is an adequate answer to the question. If you're listening to the show, I, I think that we need to have a system that's got digital certificates and we need to have something better than a system where someone can easily copy your signature and sign documents for you. So uh, I, we need to get there, but it needs to get easier too. Yeah. So maybe, maybe touch ID will solve this problem. <laughs> I could see that. You know, I mean, I, I was, in fact, I was talking to Ernie before the show. I was thinking, remember that scene in back to the future too, you know, where McFly, I think he, he puts his thumb on something and then his boss comes on and fires him like two seconds later. <laughs> right. right. I don't remember if maybe I misremember. It's been a long time, but I remember there's a scene, something like that. And, you know, maybe we need to get there at some point and, um, what we're do what we're doing right now isn't really very secure and isn't very good, but it is what people are doing. Right. And, um, hopefully it gets better. Yeah. Well, Another security related subject is um, redaction. And this is probably mainly a lawyer thing, but I think everybody should be aware of it. Um, if you're going to have a PDF and you're going to send it and maybe it's got your social security number on it or some bit of information you don't want to share. Um, some people think they just draw a black box over it and they're fine. But what they don't realize is the person who receives it can delete the black box and read all your data. So you want a program that's going to have a redaction tool that really just changes the ones and zeros and, and kills that information. Yeah. And you, well, you know, you can use redaction to clean up a document. I use redaction a lot of times if the document has like, I mean, if it had a coffee stain or if it has marginalia that you don't want on there that was on there when you scanned it in, you can use the redaction feature to select that area and, and apply a white overlay instead of black. And it basically is like, you know, white out. Yeah. yeah. I and you, that can, as well. you can do redaction with both PDF pin and with um, Adobe Acrobat. You cannot do a redaction with a preview. Right. Ernie, you have written uh, a book to help people, uh, lawyers specifically, but it will help other people as well with all of this. Um, and you've also used some of these fancy tools specifically in your book. You know, you've incorporated video and things like that. I want to talk a little bit about how you've used PDF to, uh, to create a book and to create an interactive book. But before we do, 
Uh, I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at Gazelle. Gazelle is the fast and simple way to sell your used gadgets. And you can head over to gazelle.com right now to find out what your used iPhone, iPad, and other Apple products are worth. And new from Gazelle, you can now buy certified pre-owned Apple iPhones, uh, Samsung Galaxy phones, and iPads directly from Gazelle. And I've got a story about this because, um, one of, you know, people know me in my office now is, is the person that you go to when you got a problem with your, with your Apple stuff. Uh, and my boss comes into my office and he shuts the door and he sits down and he says, we've got a problem. And I said, okay. And he says, it's a long story. It involves my daughter and a chicken and this whole thing, but she <laughs> wanted to see if her iPhone would float. And I said, oh yeah. And she said, he said, it doesn't. And I said, well, that sounds like a personal problem. And uh, so the short version is, is he's now got uh, an iPhone that does not float, by the way, um, and a very unhappy daughter. And I'm not entirely clear where the chicken came in, but it was a funny story, <laughs> nevertheless. And I said, well, the solution to this problem is to head over to Gazelle because he didn't want to buy his kid a brand new iPhone and they didn't have insurance on it. What are you going to do with it? So he went over to Gazelle and he got a, a Actually, three great things out of this. Um, number one, Gazelle offered him twenty-five bucks for his, you know, waterlogged, dripping wet iPhone or something like that. Uh, and he said, "Whatever, it's better than nothing. I'll, I'll send it to you." Uh, he bought his daughter uh, an upgrade. That was an iPhone four. He bought her an iPhone four S um, for a very great price. Um, and then just this week, he comes into my office with carrying a big box and again, shuts the door, puts the box on my desk, opens it up and says, I got a new iPhone for his daughter. While he was there, he decided to pick up uh, an, uh, an iPad, uh, fourth generation iPad for his wife, uh, because they're handing her iPad down to his other daughter for Christmas. And he said, you'll never believe this. When I sent my iPhone to Gazelle, they said it wasn't as in bad shape as I thought it was. They actually gave me more money for it. He said, they've earned me as a customer for life. And I said, this is like a Gazelle commercial in the making. I'm going <laughs> to use this next time. So this is all a true story. This has all happened. So you can go ever and uh, check out their, their pre-owned certified devices over at gazelle.com. They come with uh, chargers and uh, the appropriate cable. They've been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process to ensure that they're fully functional. They all come with a risk-free 30-day uh, return policy. Uh, and if you've got a device that you want to send back to them, whether it's waterlogged, whether it floated or not, uh, might be a witch if it didn't float. Or wait, it's a witch if it does float. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe she thought it's a witch. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, send it over to Gazelle and you can get paid in cash. So check them out over at gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. And uh, let them know that we sent you. Um, before we get talking about Ernie's book, uh, we've made mention about flattening PDFs. And I think that's a real important uh tip if you're going to work with these PDFs. So Ernie, you want to talk about that just a little bit? Sure. So um, whenever you put, if you draw on a PDF, if you uh, highlight a PDF, any kind of annotation that's considered, you know, it's on a layer that sits on top of the PDF itself. So uh, one of the choices that you have when you print out a PDF is to say, I want to print out just the document without the markups or annotations, or I want to print out the document with the markup and annotations. So if you've signed a PDF by putting a stamp on, that's just an annotation. So if the person goes to print it out, 
and they don't have it set to the right setting, it'll print out without the signature. And then they'll say, wait a second, I thought you signed this document. What's going on here? So you need to flatten the signature on there. Or if, if there's any other annotation that you want to be permanently put onto the PDF, you need to flatten it. And so there are, in, in Adobe uh, Acrobat land, there are these things called actions. And you can download an action because it doesn't come automatically built into Acrobat for reasons I don't understand why, uh, because it seems like that should just be something that's in there. Uh, you can get an action and then you run the action and then the action will flatten the PDF. That's actually what's going on when you run the redaction um, uh, process is that you're selecting the areas you want to redact and then you say apply the redaction and it basically just flattens those redactions. So that's a very important thing to understand. And um, the, basically, if you, go, if, if you Google for, you know, action that flattens PDFs, you can find it. If you use Adobe Acrobat, I don't know how you would flatten um, in other programs. Say, just saving as PDF often will flatten it. Right. And in, in Smile, uh, on their support site, what they recommend is um, to just print it back out as a PDF and you can save over the document if you want. Yeah. And that also works in preview. Where, where are the lines between Adobe Acrobat Pro and PDF Pin Pro? Because honestly, I, I use, for, for what I do, I use PDF Pin Pro and it, it, I've not hit, I haven't hit my head on the ceiling yet. Yeah, I don't know where they are because I don't use PDF Pen Pro enough, but I, I was asked a couple, a couple of months ago to review a nuanced product called PDF or Power PDF or something like that. It was Windows only. So I, I played with it for a couple of months or about, about a month. And it basically did everything that Acrobat did. There were a few things it did that I, as a power user, or I, as somebody who's developed certain quirky habits about the way I do things, it didn't have those features. So for me, that was a deal killer. But I think for most people, you don't need Adobe Acrobat. Certainly in the Mac world, I, I wouldn't spend the $400 to get Adobe Acrobat. Yeah. Well, I'm sure if someone's out there and they have a, you know, let us know because I, I just haven't seen the problem. It, it right. works. Yeah. And, um, and we're going to talk about Ernie. You've got a great book for uh, PDFs and it's, it's, you talk mainly about Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Reader in that. Although I think a mm -hmm. lot of what you talk about is, is general PDF knowledge that, that can work for any of these topics. Um, there was also, if you're looking for PDF pen specific stuff, there was also a take control ebook for PDF pen uh, six that I'll throw a link in the show notes as well. That, that talks about how to do a lot of those things, but, yep. but Ernie, tell us about your book. So you decided to, to create a book, tell us what it's about. And then because we're Mac power users, tell us how you created it. Cause it's, it's not just a PDF. It's not like you type something in Microsoft word and saved it as, as a PDF. You, you did some fancy stuff with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the workflow was, will probably be familiar to your readers. I wrote it in Scrivener and then I, once I had it set up the way I wanted to, I exported it out to word and then I put it into Word on the Windows side because if you convert a Word document from Windows, um, on, if you're on a Windows machine and you convert it, you know, print to PDF or create PDF, it will take the, um, the style headings and create bookmarks out of those. So I created the bookmarks doing that. And then I, um, I had video that I had created a little, I think I had like 11 different shorts, tutorials on how to do certain things. And I created links to those videos, which are uploaded online somewhere. And um, and that was basically it. And the idea with the book, the book is a PDF and I sell it as a PDF because 
I want people, I wanted lawyers, and it, it could be used by anybody, but I wanted lawyers to understand the power of PDFs. And I know from many years of trying to work with lawyers and watching what they stumble with and what they don't get, um, I knew that there are a lot of uh, small firm lawyers who didn't want to buy Adobe Acrobat or weren't willing to spend any amount of money at all for any kind of PDF manipulation software, who, if they understood or began to understand what they could do with PDFs, that might change their mind. But I picked Adobe Reader because it's free and it's you know, universal. Everybody can get Adobe Reader. The latest version of Adobe Reader is extremely powerful. It has the highlighting function that we talked about and some other commenting functions. So I, I wrote the book to show lawyers how those things would work and to point them to videos if they wanted to see how it was done um, in a visual way that, that quickly addressed how you would use this in your practice and how highlighting is important and why you want to enable certain keyboard shortcuts and things like that. And then I, you know, I made it pretty affordable. I, it's $9.95 for the regular price and for the, um, the first week or so of its release, which I'm sure will be the case. It, it'll, it'll be when you guys release this. So the, for the first week, it's $4.95. And if anybody from uh, Mac Power users goes to my website, which is paperlesschase.com, and then they put slash MPU, forward slash MPU, they'll find that page and they can buy it for $4 if they want. And it, you know, it, it would work for lawyers or non-lawyers. And it's, it's got, um, the thing that I'm happiest with is I created a quick start um, tutorial and it's, it's a quick um thing that you can cut. It's like an obstacle course where as you read it, it'll say, here's how you do this. And then you do this thing and it jumps to a new page and you practice the new thing. And so after you spend 10 minutes with it, you'll have what I think are the key PDF skills. Like how do you jump from page to page? How do you quickly highlight? How do you quickly bookmark? Or how how do you use a bookmark if if you're in reader? So that's basically what the book is all about. Um, And hopefully it will have widespread, um, uh, exposure in the legal world, but uh, you know it works for non-lawyers too because it's all about PDFs. Yeah, I mean this stuff is is so useful. I, I think lawyers grasp it better because we do so much document stuff. But like I said, students or anybody who deals with words and documents can probably find a use to get better at this stuff. So paperless chase. And then also uh, Ernie has a blog at ErnieTheAttorney.net. He doesn't post as often on that, but I always find it very insightful. And like I said, Ernie, you're just one of my favorite people. I have to oh, admit. thank you. We have so you, much fun every time we get together. You guys too. I'm going to tell you, like most of the things I've learned about efficiency on my Mac, like text expander, Scrivener, all that stuff, I learned from listening to your podcast. So you guys have um, done me a huge favor. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, Ernie, it has it has been a pleasure. We will have uh, people definitely check out the book, which will be out this week as the show is released. Uh, you can find Ernie over at paperlesschase.com, and we'll have links to all of those great things on the show notes, which you can find on our website at macpowerusers.com. And don't forget that we are still running our uh, 2014 end of the year Mac Power Users listener survey. So if you haven't had a chance yet, we mentioned it in the last episode, uh, to fill that out, give us some feedback about the uh, state of Mac Power users, um, how we're doing, what you would like to see. Really appreciate that. You can find that at macpowerusers.com slash survey. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. And David and I would really appreciate your feedback. And speaking of feedback, you can send us email to feedback at macpowerusers.com or leave a comment on Twitter. We're at macpowerusers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. And thanks to our sponsors this week, Harry's, Linda, Fujitsu, and Gazelle. 
and we will see you all next week.